This is the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Abraham's Wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good morning, fellas. This is Mark. And this week, I was able to sit down for a conversation with Mark Douglas, who has been on the Abraham's Wallet podcast before. And we talked about a book that he sent me that we both felt was highly relevant to the current moment that we all find ourselves in, in the middle of the quarantine and the coronavirus. And we explored the idea of what does it look like to be faithful and even to flourish when something like this is going on. Now, You'll hear in just a minute as Mark introduces this podcast that we are double broadcasting this one. You can go get it as well as on the Abraham's Wallet podcast over at The Viceroy Project. The Viceroy Project is Mark's latest venture and it's great. You guys should all immediately head over to theviceroyproject.com. It is a community of men committed to one another and to a returning king who will be asking for reports. So they say that their aim is to govern ourselves, households, businesses, and communities well until he shows up. And there's a lot of awesome content. I have been encouraged by what I've been getting on a daily basis recently from the Viceway Project. So it's the type of thing that anybody who likes this podcast would dig, and I encourage you to go check it out. Now... I'm going to just kick it over to the conversation I had with Mark about the book, A Gentleman in Moscow, and I hope you enjoy this. Okay, uh, this is a special edition of the Viceroy Project, um, which is a literary review of a book that I found wonderful and that you should totally be reading sometime during your self-contained, self-quarantine months. The book is this. It is called A Gentleman in Moscow. Um, I liked it so much that I sent it, oh, by Amor Tolls. I sent uh, copies to good friends of mine, including Mark Parrott, uh, who many of you will know from abrahamswallet.com, all things uh, financial advice for, for viceroys and for men who just want to manage their home. What is it? Run their, run their wallets and their budgets like a boss. Run, run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Like a biblical boss. That's right. So Mark Parrott, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Well, thanks for sending me this book, Mark. I would never in a thousand years have picked it up on my own volition. And really? it's, well, I just, I, I didn't know this person uh, and not to give away too much, but I'd, I immediately dove into every other book I could find that he had written and read it after we finished this one. So I was a big fan. Okay, good. Well, I figured, you know, you, you Princeton boys read everything that came off the presses, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, my wife's book club had read this and so. Oh, had she? She was familiar okay. with it, and she said, I re- really didn't expect you to be reading that. So, Okay. So I have talked literature with your wife, and uh, 
did she say that she enjoyed it or did not enjoy it? Enjoyed it. Okay, good. So, so far, everybody that I have pushed this book to has said, yes, double thumbs up. Well, we're going to be very careful, Mark, not to uh, give away uh, the surprise endings or maybe even we're going to try not talk about the last 20% of the book. But um, if we could just quickly give a place some handholds for our listeners to, to know what this story is about, um, I will try and do a quick thumbnail and then you throw in whatever I'm missing, okay? Um, so what we have is a story of a, uh, an aristocrat, uh, a Russian aristocrat, who uh, is unfortunate enough to be born and live through the Bolshevik Revolution. And as people who are somewhat familiar with 20th century history know, uh, aristocrats didn't fare well during the, uh, the wave of the communist revolution. Everybody was typically took a bullet. Now, um, Mark, can you tell us like, why, why, is, why is Count Rostov, our protagonist, why is he spared? Well, as far as I remember, he wrote a poem right towards the turning point of the revolution that was received and held up as a as an anthem for the bolsheviks and so when they went to look at who are we going to x from the ruling class uh they said we can't kill this guy because everybody really likes this piece of art he's produced that's inspired you know russians to put their shoulder to the revolutionary plow that's right. And, uh, and instead of giving him a bullet, they, uh, they sentenced him to total house arrest, but not in just any house, actually in a, a very famous uh, Russian hotel called the Metropole. And uh, the poem that was attributed to him is the thing that spared him from the bullet. So He's now left to live out the, the remainder of his days inside this really opulent, elegant, uh, rich, multifaceted uh, hotel in Moscow. And as you might imagine, a guy who had free reign of the world and was a world traveler, very well educated, high culture, knows things about wine and literature and uh, symphonies. And I mean, he, he has such a breadth of knowledge. Um, to be contained in this tiny micro world, um, which some of us can relate to as we are um, homebound and sheltered in place, which, uh, Mark, you were right to bring up, bring up the fact that this is the perfect book for someone to be reading right now, because he, he handled it like a champ. What, how did he, it's remarkable how he handled it mentally. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll dive into the specifics, but the whole reason this book is great for me is because it's a story of just repeated um, knockdowns from these guys who don't even seem like real men. They're just, they're weaselly little minions of the the Russian revolutionary system and they all are grasping at straws to have some place where they can exert themselves and also show what they've done to their superiors and just Rostov at every turn whether it's the opening scenes where he's getting moved out of his room and they're just 
brutal in saying, well, you can take two things. What do you want? Um, or the, what, what happens with the, the wine collection at the hotel? I mean, there's just all these times where he continually loses freedom, space, uh, choice, status. Um, he ends up as a waiter at the hotel, having been one of the like premier patrons. Uh, all these things happen to him, and yet he ends up seeming like the guy that's in charge of the whole place and the one that if there's a really a problem, clearly he's going to be the one to solve it, not the ones who have the titles of being in charge. Yeah, so <clears throat> the reason that I recommend this to Viceroy readers is because I think that Count Rostov perfectly embodies the spirit of uh, of somebody who has a a personal identity that is portable into any situation that he finds himself and it's and it's unshakable um, the thing that strikes me about Rostov is that um, he is so uh, aware that whatever context he's in it has no bearing whatsoever on his own personal dignity or sense of mission or uh, it, it, nothing about his circumstances can actually rob him or touch his interior. Um, that was the thing that struck me again and again was that, um, that he, he thought through and was able to, to see clearly no matter whether he was waiting tables or, or if he was being waited on. It, it didn't matter. The, the hierarchy that seemed to be falling around him from the old regime, the old order, it didn't, it didn't seem to, to graze him. Did you get that same impression? For sure. And, you know, there was such a contrast between that and the people who, uh, honestly, I think we've all met in our lives, the people who had been handed some kernel of authority and thought that meant they had authority. And then in the book, there's situations that come up where clearly they don't and vice versa, where Rostov, who has been moved from kind of patron saint of the hotel down to the assistant waiter, um, he'll be waiting on the head cheese of the whole Russian revolution. And the guy will go wait something about the, this guy's got something I need. And they, and they strike up a friendship and they, so authority recognizes authority, even when there's no uh, trappings around it. And that's pretty cool. The, uh, the way it happens over and over in this book. That's right. So uh, speaking of authority, recognizing authority, uh, I underlined one passage for you uh, in every book that I sent out to guys. And that one, that one passage is this quote. It is the business of gentlemen to distinguish between men of rank. Um, that line to me jumped off the page. And I just thought, yeah, that's it. Is that uh, to be able to discern quickly you know, in the scriptures, St. Paul says that we know one another after the spirit versus the flesh. And and I know that Rostov wouldn't necessarily have said that, but I think about how many times I've encountered somebody 
over a lunch and that ability to go, uh, okay, this is who this guy is. This is how this guy is wired up. And here's the qualities in, in this guy and to be able to call them out and to be able to see them developed. Um, I just, I thought that was a really fantastic line. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I highlighted it. Yeah. I, it has a lot of application, I think, to, you know, we've talked about this on, on our podcast a bit um, lately that there's this uh, undercurrent of grumbling that I hear in the middle of what's happening right now in the world, in our country. And it's very in vogue to complain about those who are in charge. Um, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, I don't think this is just the people who dislike the current you know, political leaders or, or like them and dislike the others. Uh, it's very in vogue to kind of grumble about that. And Rostov in this book, he runs up against incompetence all the time. And he's obviously living under an authoritative dictatorship that is taking people out back and shooting them in the head. So it's not a good government. And he's experiencing that on like a petty micro level as well as a huge scale, but he never spends any energy talking about, he has opportunities. There'll be an American journalist in the bar They'll be like, what do you think about these chuckleheads? And um, he never takes the bait and vents his frustrations. You get the sense that he's above that. And, you know, I think about that when I think about the scriptures and the fact that almost all of the New Testament was written in an environment where people were either being sawn in half or about to be used as street lamps and things. Um, and yet we never hear a, I know the government is horrible and we just hear endurance is going to be very important for you. So you better develop it like, because there's coming a time when you'll need it. And to me, there's just a, a really good parallel between um, the ability to recognize rank, the ability to recognize authority it goes hand in hand with the ability to not get flustered when some poser is actually sitting in the, the top seat for a while. Yeah, that's right. So one of the, uh, one of the things that we say, uh, I, I have three teenagers now, and one of the things that is a constant refrain in our house is, yeah, that's fine, but that's not our culture. And that one phrase, that refrain again and again is, yeah, I know that, I know that X, Y, and Z, that that is true over there, but I want you to know that that's not how our family does that. It's not how the king does that. That's not consistent with the king's purposes and plans for your life. So you won't listen to that, or you're not going to be speaking that way, or fill in the blank. Rostov seems to have you know, we're meeting him when he's already a mature man, but whatever it was that was deposited in him and cultivated in him, it's almost kind of like uh, Daniel, right, in the Old Testament, which is he had a fully formed and completely functioning uh, architecture in his mind and heart about who he was, and you could throw him in, into Babylon, and he goes, yeah, fine, 
That's that's how these people do these things. Me, I'm praying. I pray all the time. Uh, I don't eat these things. Uh, I worship the God of my fathers. And I appreciated that Rostov went, whatever madness this is that's sweeping through Russia, a country that you can tell Rostov really loves. You can tell he deeply loves and appreciates Russia. Uh, and yet he never, and he never disparages the country he loves, but he will not get washed over through this Bolshevism. Phenomenal. So I've got my teenagers reading the book, essentially, so that they know. Are they digging it? Yes. Yeah, they do, actually. That's cool. Um, okay. Uh, there was another really fantastic uh, part of the book was toward the end. And without getting into any plot uh, reveals, uh, talk about the little the, the glass on the table because you mentioned that in sort of our pre-meeting that that was really powerful for you. So he, Count Rostov, I think one of the ways other than his innate nobility that he kind of navigates and thrives even despite being constantly knocked down in status is that he actually takes an interest and puts an emphasis on very small things. So there's, there's a quote that closes the book and I don't, I don't think it gives away anything to say, I don't think um, so. but it says, but in setting upright the cocktail glass in the aftermath of the commotion, didn't he also exhibit an essential faith that by the smallest of one's actions, one can restore some sense of order in the world. And that's that we see that happen throughout the book. It reminded me of some of the stuff that's become really popular in the last, I don't know, three, two, three years, like Jordan Peterson telling men, if you want to sort of fix the world, the first thing you need to do is make your bed, um, put your room in order. We've talked about this on our podcast a ton in terms of your money when it comes to um, you need to start taking steps towards order, not sit back and imagine the big changes that someday will have to happen if you're ever to get across the financial finish lines. So That's good. In, in a environment where he can't control the big outcomes, even if he wanted to, um, he takes a lot of interest, you know, the, the room they put him in. It's this ter- he goes from one of the nicest rooms in the hotel when he's a guest to when he's under house arrest, they move him basically to the supply closet. But he finds ways to turn that into this space that feels very dignified. It feels like he has a study that he kind of walks through a hole in the wall to get into. And um, I just think by physical space that he claims and um, exerts his mastery over, he sets a tone that actually matters to how he interacts with the world, including those people around him who want to kind of constantly remind him, you're not in charge here, I'm in charge here. And he's like, great, but I've still got, you know, the scotch in just the right place on the counter in my dingy room. And I'm still going to exercise in the morning the way I want to. And then when I'm ready, I'll come out and do whatever it is you're telling me I have to do. That's right. Yeah, it, uh, 
that quote that you mentioned was uh, a reference to Casablanca, if I remember correctly. And so it's, um, yeah, I, it reminded me, and we talked about in our in the precursor to this that um, in World War II, uh, you know, the, there would be Japanese uh, prison camps, and there would be uh, enlisted men and officers from the British Corps and from Americans, and they, and I remember reading years ago, and I can't remember where it was, but it said that. Um, American men could walk into one of these uh, POW camps, and even though all of the insignias and ranks have been stripped off of the soldiers, that they could immediately tell who were officers and who were enlisted. That the officers who had come from the aristocratic families of England and understood that they had a responsibility for how they carried themselves and how they expressed and kept the sort of esprit de corps of of everybody in this camp they stood up straighter they kept their head up they looked at people in the eye and they just carried themselves with a sense of i i'm in this moment but this moment doesn't master me which reminded me that there was a quote uh it says the guy that uh that had really raised rostov is duke dimidov and it says this the quote said that he had taught uh, Rostov, adversity presents itself in many forms. And if a man does not master his circumstances, then he is bound to be mastered by them. Um, I just thought that was a powerful line. And you saw that he, he understood it and you saw it exemplified in the way that he handled himself. And we didn't I, know I, when, when you mailed this book out, we did not know that America would be living under quarantine. That's right. So it's uh, ultra relevant right now to me to think about what it looks like to make a conscious decision between being mastered by one's circumstances and not. So that's right. It's just, it's hard almost everything we're covering that happens in the book not to go. And so here's how we're going to move forward in our current moment. That's right. And uh, I was reminded of Hamlet's line. Uh, that he says, I could be, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself the king of infinite space. That Hamlet uh, also understood that you can put whatever you want around me and I still have responsibility and can operate in freedom or feel shackled by what my context uh, says. So, um, yeah, it is uh, an appropriate book for this moment. Um, Gosh, I think that we've covered quite a few of the the notes that I had for for the book. Um, the one the one other story that I had was I actually got to go to to Russia and Moscow in 1994, and uh, the Soviet Union uh, had collapsed in '91, I believe, and so it still felt fresh. I mean, the Soviet. Um, odors were still in the air. People were excited about new freedoms, et cetera. But I remember we went to a glass factory, um, a manufacturing facility that showed all of the artifacts of the kind of glass that the Russian people were producing up until the Bolshevik revolution. And it was beautiful and decorative and um, 
if you think about the basilicas and and that in in the you know early modern Russian period, it was all there in in the manifestation in their art. And then there's this hard break in 1918, and from there you see all the life and color and detail and intricacy stripped out, and it becomes completely utilitarian, exclusively you know utilitarian. Um, and it's just poor. It just looks poor and pathetic by in, in contrast and you see it all the way through and in this factory they started showing after the fall of the soviet union that they were trying to bring some more of the creativity they the people themselves could see that there was this this madness that had had mastered them for decades and they can even see and point back to what was uh, and you could see them struggling to get back to the beauty. So it's relevant to this book. For sure. I spent the summer of 1996 in Berlin, which give there was a couple more years there for, for things to sort of normalize, but it was still really striking to me driving from west to east Berlin. There was no wall, obviously, but you could immediately tell that I have crossed from color into gray. You know, it's the Wizard of Oz is what it felt like. Um, And so I got that impression just as much um, kind of in that city. And and I'm sure it's very similar to the difference that one would have experienced in Russia, basically at the time that this book is happening. Yeah. The The great liberation into a poverty of spirit and mind like wow way to go <laughs> we we got it we nailed it um and yet this is the thing this is the thing that you know rod dreyer and these kinds of guys are on about right now which is um we are always at risk and there is always a threat about losing that to stronger fa- powers and forces that are at work in the world and that people um are willing to surrender our independence and our liberties for groupthink, for whatever ideals are modern and very, I'll be careful how I say these things, but just essentially that we're, we're willing to surrender these things and that the threat of that mindset and that thinking is still with us today. For sure. So One thing you said to me that we haven't really poked into was that it seemed like the tools that helped Rostov kind of navigate this well, at least partly were in his education and in his, the, the breadth of his experience. And he was able to kind of bring all of that into a confined space. I think it is very relevant to the quote you mentioned from Shakespeare, but um, I guess over at Abraham's Wallet, we we like to think very practically for for people, at least sometimes. And I'm curious if you've thought about how, uh, in our current moment, where guys are literally confined to a small space, it may or may not be a space that they had hoped to be confined to. Uh, they might be, you know, I know people who were planning to move. And then this happened and they're stuck in an apartment that sucks and they've got three kids Um, or we're planning to do a huge project. And now we've got our kitchen from 1970. Uh, 
whatever it is, the physical space is not the place that they were hoping to be. It's very relevant to this. How do you think that whether they're viceroys or Abrahams, the guys listening to this can, if they do go out and read this book, take some of the the wisdom that we see being leveraged here and use it in the very current moment? The first thing that comes to my mind is that if you want to actually build a very countercultural mindset into your children, which we by necessity must, and especially in a day where the education system has been put on hold or is collapsing or fill in the blank, right? Um, it actually is incumbent on you and me and you, Mark, to actually be building into our children um, this the rich reservoirs of literature and music and I mean, all of those things that actually fall to us. They are not they are not first and foremost the responsibility of the state. They actually are my responsibility. And we're seeing now an entire generation of kids who will um, have had at least some little amount of time that they were homeschooled. Um, and I think that you're also seeing a lot of parents who are seeing the homeschool experience, maybe for the first time up close and personal. I am very interested to see what happens when they open the schools back. Like, I know that there are some parents who are so um, done with with home education that they would send their kids back to a hot spot. Honestly, like we're just, we've got to get these kids back out to the, to the school. But I also will, will not be surprised if we see a massive uh, shift and that people start going, I'm actually willing to prioritize the education of my children, even if that uh, encroaches on my earning ability or our co-earning ability as parents or, um, does that make sense? Like, I, I think that this is an interesting moment where people are going, oh, actually, this is, this is my responsibility. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that all of this shutdown also means sports are gone. All of these activities that we were doing, all the extracurriculars are done. We are now looking at our wives eyeball to eyeball for so many more hours in a day and looking at kids, interacting with kids. and. Um, I just think that guys are going to be going, oh, I've got, I've got an important work to do right here in this home. And if they're going to get that sort of education and that sort of cultural deposit, it's going to be because I take it seriously. Does that answer any, anything? No, I think that's really good. You know, early in the book, there's two young children that Count Rostov has a relationship with in this book. One of them, he's not, he becomes friends with and it's really impactful to his own development as a man. The Mm -hmm. other one, he basically parents. Um, The one that he did not parent did not have this deep and expansive reservoir of culture to draw from. And we see what happens to that person when they grow up and get chucked out into this really tumultuous political environment is not good. The other child from a very small age is raised by Count Rostov and 
is developed in not just how do you deal with the political stuff that's going on right now, it's music and literature and eventually how to choose a good bottle of wine, all these things. And I think that's something I've always really loved about our conversations, Mark, is that, you know, you'll come to my house and start asking my wife, like, what do you think about literature right now? And it's always been a part of you guys' family story. I run across a lot of guys who think, well, our job is to start businesses, develop these strong families that, but, you know, we're about X, Y, and Z, but screw college, that's for suckers. And like, and, and I'm not here to make an argument that everyone should go to a liberal arts school, but sure. what this book reminds me is that there's a lot of non-monetizable um, knowledge and wisdom that we should absolutely not forget to drill into our kids that isn't just Bible class and how to make money. Bible class and how to make money. Yep. You know, I, I, this is such a strange, this, this book, this moment of quarantine, the Corona world, it's all happening. It's like, it's, it's all happening right now. And I think one of the other things that is converging in this moment is I think higher ed, what's going to happen to higher ed from this, from this point on, I live in a college town and um, these streets are empty and you drive up and down the roads and there is just for sale sign after for sale sign for all of these student living components. And they've got all of the dorms are empty. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, they've had these inflated costs for university degrees and now mom and dad may not have jobs. And then who's going to school in the fall and who's going, and what is, how much debt is worth this and that. So your point is well taken, which is we're having to, everyone is having to evaluate all of these things right now. Uh, and I think that the university system will be forever fundamentally changed after COVID-19. We already see the the frequency of online courses. Um, do I think something is lost in that? I do. I think something is lost in online course modules. I'm not saying that you can't learn anything, but there is just something about human interaction and, and being near in proximity to a professor who smells like cigarettes. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking back to, I got a philosophy degree. Uh, and, you know, the most worthless degree that you could go uh, acquire for oneself. Um, and yet, uh, I'm thankful for it every day. Like, it, it was a, a gift to me at a time when I didn't even know it was a gift. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know where we're headed, but I do know that I, I think... Let me just kind of get a slightly prophetic for a moment. Mm -hmm. I really think that um, I think that households that run and function under the governance of the king uh, are going to produce. There's going to be an outcome of children across the United States, and I can only speak to the U.S. I love the U.S. the way that Rostov loved Russia. But you're going to see, I think, um, a segment of this generation of young people that will have been 
uh, nurtured well, fertilized well, deep into their soils um, through classical education, through um, parents who were attentive to, you know, you're just going to see it and it's, there's, it's going to create um, a different kind of person. The same way that, that Rostov creates in the second child, a true, like a masterpiece. He created this young masterpiece who was the envy of the world because he had deposited everything he had into her. Um, I think that we're going to see a generation of young people who are rather like Daniel or Esther. Um, that's the thing that I think that we ought to be focused in and honed in on right now. So I kind of went off there, but I think that that's where we're at. Hey, that's uh, that sounds a lot better than everybody quiver and shake in your living rooms until the current moment passes. So I'll take it. Yeah, no, get to it. Like start reading the books and introduce them to Tchaikovsky and like it's it's there's no rules to it and it's totally the ball is in in our courts all of us so blessings to you all uh Mark did you have anything that you want to close us with uh this was like a, a treat that was far uh bigger than I realized when I opened it up so thank you cool. and absolutely you know, there's 10 other things I want to talk to you about that would be relevant to, to my crew. So I'm sure this isn't the last that the Abe's Wallet folks will hear from That's you. That's great. That's great. We should, we should do it. I mean, we got time, right? Heck yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope this was valuable. Uh, again, uh, go get a gentleman in Moscow. You won't be sorry. Take care. Adios. Adios.